Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Change Management Review Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton interviews B. Parker Ellen III, Assistant Professor of Management and Organizational Development in Northeastern University's The Moore McKim School of Business. Parker reveals how to develop political skill in the workplace. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. This is Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and I'm lucky to have B. Parker Ellen III here to talk about his book, Political Skill, and what I'd like to do is introduce you to him and tell you a little bit more about him. So B. Parker Ellen III is an assistant professor of management and organizational development in Northeastern University's Damore. McKim School of Business. He researches social influence topics, primarily organizational politics and leadership, and has been published in numerous academic outlets, including the Journal of Management, the Journal of Organizational Behavior, the Journal of Management Studies, the Leadership Quarterly, Human Resource Management Review, and Journal of Business Ethics. Parker holds a Bachelor's in Civil Engineering from Auburn University, a Master of Science in Managerial Sciences from Georgia State University, and a PhD in Organizational Behavior and Human Resource Management from Florida State University. Prior to academia, Parker was a consultant and executive in the engineering industry where his responsibilities included co-directing the firm-wide training program for mid-career professionals. He currently serves on the editorial review board of the Journal of Organizational Behavior and the Journal of Leadership and Organizational Studies, and he's co-authored the new book, Political Skill at Work, How to Influence, Motivate, and Win Support. So without further ado, welcome, Parker. Oh, thank you. We're happy to have you here. Um, your the topic of your of your book is really something that I, I think a lot of change professionals are curious about, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate you reaching out and the opportunity to come and uh, share a little bit about it. Uh, I made a promise a long time ago when I left industry and moved into academia that I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't forget where I came from um, to someone who <laughs> took me out for a farewell lunch. So I consider this a, an opportunity to, to keep my promise to him and, and make sure that the work I'm doing is getting in the hands of people that can use it in companies. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it's such a under, you know, misunderstood topic in a lot of ways because it's so intangible that it's hard to kind of nail down, you know, how do you describe it? What do you do with it? Um, so let's start off just talking a little bit about what is a political skill. Yeah, so the in, in academic parlance, um, you know, it's it's we use the word construct. So I apologize if, if some of that slips in from now and then, but it's the construct is uh, officially defined as an ability to effectively understand other people at work, and and then to use that knowledge, that understanding, to influence others in a way that can enhance either your objectives or your organization's objectives. And it's, um, it does comprise four different dimensions. Um, through much of the academic literature, it's just been talked about as a skill. And so it's either have political skill or you don't. What we're seeing now, and, and my co-authors and I are trying to push for, is a discussion and research into the individual components, which you might consider like individual skills. Uh, that you can it, you can develop and then employ. So those uh, encompass 
social astuteness, networking ability, interpersonal influence, and uh, apparent sincerity. And if, if you want, I can go into each one of those in a little bit more detail if that'd be helpful. Yeah, I think it would be just to, um, because one of the one of the things that hits me right off the top with those four categories is the apparent sincerity, which, you know, brings me to intent of in, the, in, the intent of influence. So I'd love to hear a little bit about each of them. Yeah. So probably the easiest way to do this uh, without just sort of rattling off definitions is to think of a scenario. And mm -hmm. so oftentimes um, when I talk about this, I, I have people try to imagine they're at a networking function or, you know, like almost like a cocktail party, you're walking in, there's sort of a big room and it's a social structure, right? There's a, and especially if it's an organization. And so social astuteness is, is what I refer to as sort of uh, being able to see the matrix, um, at least socially. So mm -hmm. when you're in that and you're watching people, you're in that scenario, the cocktail party, the networking event, you're, you're looking around at the social interactions between people, you're able to see almost some of the power dynamics, mm. the way people are acting with and around each other. And you can sort of start to dissect uh, what's going on, uh, maybe behind the scenes or interpersonally between them, even the words they're not saying. And they're like, oh, well, you know, she definitely doesn't respect him very much, you know, even though she's laughing at the jokes, et cetera. So you sort of get to put together the, the social structure uh, networking ability then is the ability to, or the, I guess, putting sort of that knowledge, the first step of putting that knowledge into, into practice. And so mm -hmm. if you diagnose correctly sort of the power structures, who's important in that room, you know where to spend your time, where you want to go and mingle and meet with people. And so that's much more of what people are probably familiar with is just what networking is, is is getting um, contacts, building contacts, not just collecting a card, mm -hmm. you know, but actually building sort of a connection with them that you can leverage at some point in the future. Uh, and then we move into more of the active components, which is interpersonal influence. And, and we've begun to describe this as much more of a way to calibrate your behavior. So mm. it, when, you're, when you're presenting yourself, when you're talking to someone, um, the, the way you choose to word things, um, the timing when you choose to say certain things or engage in certain influence tactics, uh, the interpersonal influence will give you the ability to know when's a good idea to do what. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so so not, every, not everything requires a hammer, you know, not everything requires a blowtorch. Sometimes you need you know, a saw or different tools. And so right. that's sort of the ability to uh, calibrate your behavior that way. And then, as you mentioned, the one that usually draws people's attention is that apparent sincerity. Uh, and often because the word apparent is tapped in, it's not just sincerity. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just like it sounds. It's, it's the ability to appear sincere in what you're doing or saying, even if you're not. Uh, that immediately rubs people the wrong way oftentimes when we talk about the construct and they're like, mm -hmm. well, it is then just everything I've thought about politics at work and being political and and the stuff that kind of makes your skin crawl sometimes. Um, but it, it's, it's more to capture the fact of this, it's neutral. And so, um, yes, you know, sincere people can display it in a way that they always appear sincere. Uh, but this, what we would argue as political skill, will give you the ability then that even if you don't really mean it, uh, when you make a compliment and you're trying to ingratiate, ingratiate yourself to someone, that they do in fact think that it's a, a genuine and sincere effort mm. to compliment them on what they're doing or something. Um, again, doesn't have to mean that you don't really mean it, but it can. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting because it comes back to, you know, is this manipulative for the right reason? You know, what's your what's your big picture intent of the conversation? Are you doing this with, you know, the best interest of the organization in mind or the best interest of, um, you know, the client in mind, depending what your perspective is? I'm glad you mentioned that, like the organization's objectives. And that's one of the reasons I like that. That's uh, I didn't formally define the construct. Some of my colleagues did many years ago, but I love that they included personal and or organizational objectives at the tail end of that, because those do not have to be mutually exclusive. And sometimes what's in your best interest is in the organization's best interest. And, and our hope is certainly that people are going to use political skill in a way that advances the group and the organization, um, not just themselves. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, the thing, the story that it brings back for me is when I was um, a very junior uh, graduate and there weren't a lot of jobs. So I basically got into selling life insurance. And, you know, at every family party, everybody was like, oh, you sell life insurance, you sell life insurance. But I was doing it to get presentation, networking, and um, sales skills. And what ended up happening is I really felt self-conscious about it until, you know, my manager said to me, you know, your intent is what matters. One day you're going to be helping someone with, you know, policy and the next day they're going to be gone and you're going to be going back with the, with the insurance check. And that happened to me. And I was like, that's when I started to really realize that the intent is so important. And, I think that that's where consultants need to pay attention as well is, you know, are you really coming from a place of good from the client? Are you really coming from a place of good for the project? Um, and, you know, is it okay to be political in this situation? So it's, it's interesting how it all resonates differently with people. Um, so why do you think political skill is necessary for success at work? So although we're in sort of this, this uh, weird space right now with COVID and people working at home has certainly changed things. Right. And also, you know, the gig economy is, is new and a lot of people are doing side hustles and more internet-based stuff. The, the reality is that still in, in most aspects, uh, most work boils down to some social aspect, like we're mm -hmm. dealing with other people. And so political skill as a social effectiveness construct, as a skill about working with other people, means that being good with dealing with those other people and influencing them in different ways uh, is going to make you better at your job. And we argue that that's um, fairly universal. I'm sure if you push me on it, I could think of some scenarios and, and mm -hmm. some maybe some jobs where it's not as important. Uh, mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if you need to deal with other people, uh, this is going to help you deal with other people more effectively. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about that is it's not just in sort of the influence aspect where we see the, the upticks in sort of success at work. Now, certainly, if, as the scenario I described before, if you're sort of this classic uh, Bill Clinton-esque, Ronald Reagan, smooth talker, then you're going <laughs> to be able to, uh, you're going to be able to uh, work your way into the bosses in group and we'll certainly we have research that shows that your 
subjective performance evaluations are going to increase. Uh, and, and I think that that's mistakenly where people often stop with their thoughts about like what political skill can do for them. Um, the other thing that's interesting is because of that, uh, I think it's it, the reason that that happens uh, in other aspects, I guess I should say, is that it, it increases your self-efficacy or your confidence in dealing with other people. And because again, most jobs involve some sort of social component. If you're more comfortable with yourself and interacting with them, you know, that's going to lower your stress. Mm. And we have research to show that even when job stress, I shouldn't say lower your stress, even it's going to lower the outcomes of the stress. So even when the job is still stressful, what we've seen is that, that you'll have lower reported anxiety and fewer complaints of you know, sort of physical ailments, headaches, backaches, sort of the stressor mm. uh, responses, the strains. Uh, but even more impressive is they've shown a, a decrease in blood pressure. So we, we physically know that oftentimes people with higher political skill, they get into stressful situations. And again, I think it's more likely due to this ability, uh, increased self-confidence and ability to deal with other people that they don't react the same way. Um, mm. And of course, if if you're not having to worry as much about coping with this stressor, you're, you can focus more on the work and the task at hand. Uh, and, and that's going to make your actual um, objective performance increase. And we've seen that as well. It's not just subjective performance evaluations. People's actual work gets better. When that's amazing. Yeah. I've never thought of it from that perspective. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So as you get more competent in the political skill, then you can handle maybe more difficult situations or more social challenges without being stressed about it. That's really, I mean, it makes sense, but I, you know, if you look at all the management science books and, and articles, they don't talk about that. They talk about how to influence, you know, influence without authority, all this stuff, but they're not talking about the impact on the mind and the body. That's really cool. No, it's, yeah, it is. And, and one, um, you know, several years ago, uh, some of my co-authors on, on the book uh, wrote a theoretical piece where they talked about this and said, you know, it's what we call intra-psychic and interpersonal impacts, right? And so you're, nice. you're correct. A lot of the literature, the pop press literature that's out there focuses on this interpersonal aspect. Mm-hmm. And we certainly do as well. I mean, this is where we think you see the tangible impacts on careers and the ability to, to wield change with other people. But why does that happen? Well, like there are intra-psychic processes. Right. And, and you benefit personally and psychologically from being politically skilled, which then allows you to do other things. We have a, a study right now um, where we're working uh, with some colleagues in Britain and they've got a sample from politicians and we measured oh. their political skill before campaigning for parliament and, um, you know, ask them then about their self-efficacy for specifically for campaigning and the ones that had higher political skill reported higher uh, instances of confidence about campaigning and Mm. then ultimately, um, essentially higher goal setting, more intention to go out and try to influence people to vote for them. And then ultimately the end of the chain, we've shown an indirect effect through that where they secured a higher percentage or percent increase of a vote. So again, and not a subjective outcome, right? Uh, even though it, you could argue that's a subjective influence process, but it, it, it there's a tangible result, an objective result at the end that shows 
like how this sort of intrapsychic and interpersonal process plays out. Yeah, that's really that's really neat. Um, all the different perspectives and dimensions that you're looking at this uh, skill set from is is pretty fascinating. Um, so, what if I don't like playing politics? Do I still need a political skill? Um, obviously, I'm biased, and so you know my answer is going to sure. be is going to be yes. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about probably about why. And I certainly understand um, that people don't like politics. And you know, I, the reality is that they're, they're just there. They're, they're mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, and I, I, in fact, I remember when I was starting my career, um, I was interviewing with the firm and they were like, we don't have titles, you know, on our business cards or anything like that. And I'm like, Oh, there's this meritocracy. And, <laughs> and there's this picture painted that things are, are um, not very political. And, um, you know, if you go look into my bio, you'll figure out pretty quick who this is. So I might get in a little trouble, but uh, I'm never going back. I'm staying in academia. So, but, uh, you know, you pretty quickly <laughs> learn like, that people are married to each other, you know, yeah. they're like, how'd they get that job? And they're like, oh, you know, and, and they were roommates in college and yeah. sorority sisters. And, and it, you know, my eyes were sort of open and it's not very quickly. It's not going to be, it's not going to be just my work product, right? right. Even engineering firm, I will say that like it's, so it's, it's, you would think that's pretty objective criteria. You do the work, you do it well and, and everyone's happy. And uh, man, I, I learned pretty quickly that it was much more about building relationships, about being able to influence each other. Um, you know, it's not, it, it feels nefarious sometimes, but it's not often that the stories that are fun to tell are the ones that I just did about, you know, like, oh, how'd they get there? Uh, but what I really discovered, and I think most people discover if, if they're honest with themselves, is that there's an informal structure in addition to the formal structure of an organization. And no matter what the org chart says on paper, you know, you, you know who the players are. And in certainly when you're talking about band, within bands, like at a certain level, and we see this a lot in flatter organizations that you know, politics prevail and interpersonal influence ability is you know, how you get things done. Right. Uh, so yeah, if you don't like playing politics, the bad news is what we, my colleagues and I often say is, well, you know, that's a shame because you're already playing. Um, you're, <laughs> you know, whether you like it or not, you're in the game. Um, your decision now is, is how you play it um, and whether you can play it well. We certainly think the political skill can allow you to play it well. And we, we feel like we've got research to back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as we've sort of hinted at since the beginning of the call, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be manipulative or have ill intent. Um, you know, and our, we're very clear in, in the beginning and the closing of the book to try to say, like, look, this is, we understand this is going to make people uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. you know, our hope is that you take this just like power or money, these neutral concepts, and instead of using them for ill, you're going to use them for positive change within organizations. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I like the I like the point you made about, you know, you're already in the game, so you might as well play. <laughs> Because if you don't play, you stick out like a sore thumb. That's a great point. Yeah, if you think about a, an actual playing field, the the man or woman that's just standing there is is not going to probably excel certainly, and it is going to stand out. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, and I hate saying it because I don't like 
to think of myself as a go with the flow guy. And I know a lot of people don't, especially people that are trying to like implement change. You're usually thinking about yourself going in the opposite direction. Um, but the reality is that, you know, this is in a social environment, you know, it's politics and, and is really just inner is um, informal influence. Right. And, power right. and, and so um, I, I think all of the, you know, the people listening, the people that read, your publication, um, the people that think about change know that power and change are synonymous. And, and, and so if, if political skill is about uh, gaining and wielding power, um, even if it's informal, then yeah, like you're, you're, you're playing. Uh, you, you just got to figure out how you want to do it and whether you can be better at it. Right. And as consultants, you know, when a client, as you know, when a client uh, brings you into an organization, you kind of are anointed with the power at the level that your client is and so how to handle that responsibly um, and respectfully because you become a proxy almost in some cases for your client uh, when it comes to sponsorship enrollment when it comes to you know uh, speaking about the project so I can see you know that change agents would really benefit from um, political skill. And one of the questions that I'm sure they're asking right now is, um, can you give an example of a political skill set um, or what some political skills are or some influencing techniques? Um, in, in response specifically to sort of change in that? Yes. Yeah, so there's, um, you know, a lot of times when you're thinking about change, you're, even if it's a small project or aspect, you're really talking about moving the organization or some part of it from like one state to another. Right. And so one of the things, and I think this can go internally because um, I know there are some people that, that are like internal consultants and they're external as mm -hmm. well. So I'll talk about it in both ways. But um, the, the bottom line is that anytime you introduce even the concept of change, you know, there's going to be pushback and there's going to be people discomforted by that. You know, it, it does create stress. I mean, we, we certainly know that and ambiguity um, and that and ambiguity breeds politics. And so you can see how this kind of spirals and the fact mm -hmm. that, like, okay, well, if there's going to be change, then people are going to say like, well, I got to get mine. And other people are like, well, I got to get mine. And so now right. simply navigating that um, on either side would mean that you need political skill and the ability to kind of, uh, to, to push your side forward. But if you think about the people that are trying to shepherd the change and are responsible for the ultimate success, then you know, they have to be the ability to, to put those two sides together mm. all the time, to resolve those conflicts, to negotiate the disagreements and to help the project move forward. So it's not abandoned for the 12th time and right. nobody wants to pick it up. And, and so you can see that, uh, that you, if you're caught in the middle, political skill can almost be more valuable for the organization ultimately than just trying to make sure your side wins. Um, yeah. There was a, there was a study that I love. that was a qualitative one back in 2010. And um, this researcher looked at, middle managers involved in a change initiative. And, and one of the things that he talked about was this process of sense making and sense giving. And again, because there's mm -hmm. a lot of ambiguity and there's a lot of uncertainty, people don't know like, what, like, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? Where are we going to be? And so I think a change agent with political skill, again, either internally to the organization or externally can help 
make sense of what's happening and, and why this is going and get the organization and get the people, the members of the organization or the group to land in a better spot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for many of uh, the people listening, they, they might be consultants that help walk other people, like you mentioned, clients, right? navigate this change. Um, and at that point, you know, you're oftentimes using your expertise to, to tell them mm. you know, make recommendations. But in some ways, you serve as like coach or counselor mm -hmm. and, and mentor. Mm -hmm. So I think that people having this skill set can help them look at it from a different perspective. Again, go back to sort of social astuteness and, and you see, help them see the matrix even inside their own organization where they should be the expert, mm -hmm. but maybe you can help them navigate like, oh, well, like, who do we need to have on board? Who's got to have that? They probably know a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. Who do we need to go meet with next? Like, how should we best present this? Let's think about alternative ways in which we can say or do uh, or things or present information, um, you know, in ways that they think it's genuine, that nobody has like some sort of ulterior motive. Because again, right. I understand that the people trying to, show, uh, to usher in the change, uh, oftentimes are not trying to do it to win, you know, they're trying to, they recognize that the organization needs to move forward. And, and they're often caught in the middle trying to, to get right. everybody like, you know, hurting the cats, we're like, no, 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 like, stop, thinking about yourself for a minute, like this is, this is what we're doing and why. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I think um, as a change agent, you know, one of the things that you're, you're doing is you're constantly going back to that case for change and you're tying the, the why, the strategic why to the work that's moving forward. And you've got to be able to present that in a way that influences people, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or whether it's in a group setting. And um, I think, I think it's, it's more than just the presentation of the facts, right? It's being able to en enable that storytelling charisma of influence. Oh, absolutely. I think you're, um, you're right. One of the, the studies I have wanted to do for a long time is involving sort of pitches with creative professionals mm. or with, you know, entrepreneurs, because I think you're spot on. It's not just about the facts, right? Or objectively, this is better or worse. I mean, mm -hmm. as we know, like with the politics side, there's almost always something else lurking. Mm -hmm. But um, knowing what the values are of people in the organization or the decision makers and and tailoring your presentation so that um, the it's not just this is objectively better, but that they feel the the change, right? Right. They, they understand, and they're not just. Uh, you know, we talk about the difference between compliance and commitment, right? And it's not just like oh, okay, like I see the business case, but no, now they're you know they're impassioned champions and evangelists for them. Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. I um I think it kind of bottom lines for me that it's it's from conversation to deliverable you know that you really need to be able to use your political skills so how do you develop political skill if you don't think you have any <laughs> <laughs> um i think the first step is um honestly is to try to assess where where you are and even if you don't think you have any to try to figure out and um I mentioned to you before, we set up a website for the book mm -hmm. as well, politicalskillatwork.com. And one of the things we wanted to make sure was up there was an ability for people to diagnose. Um, and so we have a, a diagnostic instrument, a survey. Excellent. 
Um, it's psychometrically validated through tons and tons of studies. It's been used in um, all over the world, different languages, different cultures. Um, and so it's, it's pretty robust in the sense of what it's measuring. Um, and it's, it's 18 items. We've got instructions on there for how you can score it yourself. Wow. It's free to use for anybody. Um, they can use it with clients, whatever they want as well. If, if, uh, if people want to do that, but, uh, you can go in and, and see it and obviously garbage in garbage out. So be honest with yourself and yeah. cause it's a self-assessment. Um, but look at it and it'll show you how to calculate an overall political skill score. It'll show you how to calculate one for each of the dimensions of uh, social astuteness, networking ability, interpersonal influence and apparent sincerity. Um, and then at that point, like that should give you a, a little bit of a baseline of where, okay, like you know, think about when you tried to get change before, or when you tried to influence someone or, or why didn't, you know, why didn't this work or even better, why did it work here, but it didn't work there. Does that tell you that, does your scores are like, oh, well, it's, you know, interpersonal influence is, is kind of lower. I can't really calibrate. Mm. You know, sometimes I don't know just what to say or how to say it versus, you know, do you know and can you build sort of these networks? And, and so that'll let you see almost um, you know, where you're starting from at that point. Um, then after that, you know, uh, read the book, I guess, is a good plug at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> we do have a chapter that deals with developing it. Um, I will admit this is where the research is, is probably lagged um, in terms of the, the you know, pre and post test of can you do an intervention and how do you train it? There are some groups out there um, that, are, that are doing training and um, Center for Creative Leadership mm-hmm. uh, is, is one and they, you know, they're all about the, the concept as well. And I know they do some training and have developed some. Um, probably for as easy as to rely on your own experience. For me, it was, um, it wasn't specific knowledge that someone was politically skilled. I think going back, looking back at it now in hindsight, I realized that I was selecting mentors with mm-hmm. some of, with some of these different skills. Now it would have been great if, if one of them was just the, you know, the person right. you know, the guy or the gal that could shepherd it. But, I, but I think, um, you know, I've benefited from attaching myself to people that had the ability to present in ways um, that everyone always thought that they were like, oh, like I get it. And they just always seem to know exactly how to, to say or do things. Um, and, and then there were other people that could walk into a meeting and they could just know, at, you know, at the snap of the finger, exactly where everyone stood as the conversation unfolded. And and so like being around them, watching them, uh, and then also talking with them, debriefing. Mm. Uh, one of our co-authors is, is um, you know, former military and they talk often about like after action reports, right? And so mm. you think about like, all right, don't, you know, don't, and this is in any sort of learning and change, uh, I'm, I'm sure is, is familiar to a lot of people, but um, think about like why, again, why did it go the way it did? Why did they do things the way they did? and debrief mm-hmm. those experiences. Um, and, you know, I, I think I've, I've said before, it's almost uh, like a flywheel effect or a self-fulfilling prophecy or a rich get richer type thing. And, um, you know, we, we believe that the more politically skilled you get and certainly the more socially astute you are, um, the faster that this sort of learning is going to mm-hmm. take place. And you'll have the ability to see like, oh, you know, almost when you, you say something and you realize it, it's already not landing the way you want. <laughs> I want to grab that and get it back. Um, you know, don't just kind of 
and move on. Right. Think about why that is. Um, Be deliberate about putting yourself into situations where you can um, evaluate sort of your use of uh, or um, execution of some of, of what we've talked about here. Right. No, I think that's a, I think that's really um, a, a great idea, you know, create the learning lab for yourself and just have the awareness to kind of judge reactions and what's landing, what's not. And, um, and then also, you know, one thing I thought of is uh, when you're looking at the organizational system and the dynamics in it, um, you can almost see, uh, I know with organizational network analysis, you can almost see where some of the influence is moving in the organization and you can help your client um, move information or influence decisions depending on where people get their information to make decisions. And so I, I find this political skill information just really intriguing on so many different levels. So I appreciate you being here. Oh, absolutely. Thank Again, thank you for having us. I, I love talking about it. I mean, this is, I do teach obviously as well, but what gets me most excited, um, you know, and when we talk about this in class, I often tell them that, all right, it's, you know, it's like shark week for me, right? Like this is, (laughs) (laughs) this is where I go really deep dive and get get super nerdy. Shark week. Yeah. I was like this week, this is all we're going to talk about is like leadership, power, influence. And yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. That's great. That's great. And Parker, can you um, say the name of the URL with the assessment again? Yes, it's the it's the title of the book, just spelled okay. spelled out. Political skill at work. So a t, not the symbol. But political okay. skill at work. dot com. Uh, you can read the intro for free. We got the publisher to agree to let us put the intro up there, uh, so people could see whether or not they're. They're sort of uh, buying what I'm I'm selling in terms of politics is not sure. the intro is called you know politics is not a dirty word. Um, again, the assessments up there as well, and then there are links um, to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and IndieBound. Uh, if anybody wants to purchase it, we'd obviously yeah. love for them to uh, to read it and honestly um, to tell us what they think about it. I mean, we. Sure. We've been doing this for uh, working on this book for several years. This is an update I should mention as well. It's a second edition. So make sure you get the second edition um, of one that was originally written in 2005. And and we've tried to make it more and more accessible for uh, practitioners, consultants, people that are outside academia. We still do put some research notes in the back of each chapter so that, you know, we didn't make it up um, (laughs) on actual science. Um, but we, uh, we, like, we, we want to hear what people think uh, about the concept um, and what they think we need to study moving forward. Like how, like where are the gaps in knowledge? Mm. They, um, you know, again, going back to sort of that promise of staying connected. If um, I, you know, we can read the academic literature and say like, oh, this next step would be interesting. But if, if there are people that are listening and ultimately read it and have questions that need to be answered. Like we, those are the ones that we want to answer the most. Oh, that's great. That's great. So um, when we post this, we'll make sure that people have the URL address as well. And um, yeah, I would encourage people to grab this book because it's a unique blend between concept and, and science, you know, and this is one of those intangibles that, you know, people don't usually find the science to, 
to make the statement on it. And, um, and it comes tongues together from so many different perspectives. So really appreciate it. Um, so we're about out of time. And I just wanted to ask you, is there one last thought that you'd like to leave with the audience? Oh, one last thought. Um, I, you know, I think going back to the your sort of closing statement, you talked about the intangible. And, you know, a lot of times this this sort of type of skill, not even just political skill, but this sort of sort of street smarts, uh, mm-hmm. interpersonal uh, savvy, if you will, is is more of like, well, I know it if I see it or it's just, you know, you, they don't think that it's something that can be grasped uh, mm-hmm. scientifically or measured, um, tested uh, and, and implemented. And, and that's the, the part where I would push back and, um, and say, you know, don't, don't discount um, these type of skills. In fact, one of the consultants uh, that worked with my organization, she would always get mad when people said, you know, like refer to them as soft skills, right? Cause they're hard to do. And, and it, and it doesn't come out of a hard science in terms of, of the way we think about STEM, but there it, it's not fluffy, right? It's, it, this is real stuff. Um, yeah. Like I said, we, we feel fairly confident over not just my work, but in the work of, of um, not, not just my colleagues work, but work of many people over many decades that mm. uh, this is real and, and it matters, it matters to people in organizations and it can make you better at your job. It can make your uh, job better for you as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it can, it can make work, uh, your workplace more effective, honestly. So, um, and I'll close with that. If anybody has any questions, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll point them in my direction. Yes. Contact information. Um, you can find me and, and happy to chat about, uh, about this further. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much, Parker. I really appreciate your time. Um, and it's been really lovely having you on the show. No, thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed this Meet the Expert episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and B. Parker Ellen III. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn. 